Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. Well, I want you to take your Bibles with me and I want you to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 26. And I throw this question at you this morning and ask it, what is so incredible about Easter? What's so incredible about Easter? Incredible. Defined as too extraordinary to be believed. As a matter of fact, there's probably been a lot of times the last week or so or month over the past year that you've looked around and you said, wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Wow, that's incredible. Kind of made me think, and I'll date myself here, back in the early 80s, there was a show that was called That's Incredible. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you know that, because then you would be dating yourself. I just remember one guy, Fran Tarkenton was one of the the, uh, hosts of that show, and they would have different human feats. And probably you've seen crazy human feats, because now we've moved past That's Incredible TV show to TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and all the crazy videos that you see out there. You see... People who, who um, um, jump motorcycles over 40 school buses. Or you see something like you know a, a guy doing a slam dunk between his legs and over his head. You see amazing diving catches. You see a tee shot, you know, holes in one or, or putts, you know, that are 70-foot, you know, putts. And you see these amazing feats and you say, wow, that's incredible. And then you've, you've probably been places where you've stood on... Pike's Peak, maybe, and you just looked across the vastness of God's creation and you, you could say nothing, but wow, that's incredible. It's just so extraordinary. It's hard to even believe this is, this is planet Earth. Or you've seen Niagara Falls, or you've been privileged to be able to ride a boat around the Nepali coast in Hawaii, and you look up at that beautiful shoreline and you say, wow, that's just incredible. I mean, there's not a whole lot of words that you can use to describe. Or maybe you've went downtown Dallas, you looked up at Reunion Tower, you said, wow, that's incredible, or the skyscrapers, or the Sears Tower, or, 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 or the, the, uh, the uh, skyline of New York City, or you've seen the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, and you look at those things and you say, wow, that's just incredible. Maybe you've looked at a, a 777 and you look at that and you say, how can that even fly? That's incredible. Or maybe you've tasted my wife's ham and you said, wow, that's incredible. Or my mother-in-law's frito salad. That's incredible. My mom's pie. Or my sister-in-law's pumpkin roll. Wow, bless God, that's incredible. It's not lunch yet, hold on. It's just so extraordinary, it's hard to even believe. It's just hard to comprehend. And as Paul gives his defense... In front of King Agrippa, this is what Paul says, Acts chapter 26, verse 8. Look at it. This is one of the words or phrases that he used. He says this, Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now you think about Easter. It's an incredible day. And if you are a believer and you have faith in your heart, Easter is probably the most incredible day of the year because of what it reminds us of. It's incredible that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. So extraordinary, it's hard to even believe. I mean, how many dead people have you spoken to this week? Hopefully none. But Jesus is alive, incredible. It's incredible for us to even believe, just as Paul said, that God raises the dead. Now, here's what I'm going to do this morning for the next few moments. I am not going to try to develop some complex argument in order to convince some of you of the resurrection. And I'm also not going to assume that everyone in this room or in any Easter service in this city or around the globe is as excited about Easter 
as maybe I am or the person down the road. Maybe you don't even care about Easter or what it means. But I want you to understand something. Today is an incredible day. What's so incredible about Easter? Let me just give you a few things that make Easter so incredible. The first thing is this. Easter marks the incredible defeat of death. In John chapter 20, verse 1, he begins this chapter writing early on the first day of the week. The very first day, the beginning of a new week that followed the darkest week in the history of the world. It wasn't just the beginning of the week, though. It was the beginning of a new era. Because in dying, Jesus Christ had accomplished something that would change the course of history and change the course of mankind forever. The book of Hebrews describes what Jesus accomplished that week as he went to the cross. He says in chapter 2 that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held slave by their fear of death. My friends, Newsflash, here is an Easter reality that you must take home with you today. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ has destroyed the power of death over you. And in doing so, he has delivered you who had your faith in him from any fear of death or anything that it might bring. Jesus Christ has accomplished that work. He did it. It's done. And it wasn't an easy task. It wasn't easy whatsoever. That week of Jesus' life that John spends half of his gospel describing was a week of terrible anguish, terrible trouble. Before he hung upon the cross four days earlier, he had spent time, or before he was arrested, he had spent four days earlier riding into Jerusalem his eyes completely filled with tears. Why? Because salvation had come to his people, but they had missed it. Not too different than what happens today. He had missed it. They had, they had missed Jesus coming. And the people surrounding Jesus didn't make that task that Jesus had before him any easier. One of his close friends would betray him to his face. He would betray him with a kiss. Other friends would sleep through the most anguish-filled, urgent time of his life as Jesus prayed, not giving him encouragement. Everybody around him, without exception, would scatter when Jesus needed them the most. Even one of his closest, dearest friends, Peter, would curse and swear that he never knew the man. And of course, Pilate, a man who was supposed to dispense justice, recuses himself knowing full well that he is sending a completely innocent man to his death. And so begin that process of death. Where soldiers took a crown of thorns and they placed it upon Jesus' head and blood began to drip from his brow. And the mocking began. You don't look much like a king, Jesus. What a joke you are. The beatings proceeded from that moment as the soldiers draped him in a robe like a king and made fun of him. They spat upon him and spat in his face. And then they drug him out into a courtyard, strapped him to a post and scourged him until his life was almost over. 
as flesh and blood dripped from his body. That didn't end that week. They took a heavy cross beam, they put it upon the back of Jesus, and they forced him to walk up the hill called Golgotha, the place where they would ultimately crucify him. Crucifixion being one of the most heinous inventions of mankind. Put someone to death. And finally, on Friday afternoon, with only a few people left standing around the cross looking at this brutality that, was, that they were gazing upon, finally an eerie darkness settles over the entire land in the middle of day. Jesus utters his last words when he says, It is finished. He's hung between two thieves, still wailing as they move through the throes of death. And then enters Joseph of Arimathea along with Nicodemus, two influential businessmen, a part of the civil society, the civic leadership, along with those people who stood around the cross, and as they gently take the body of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, from the cross, and they begin to prepare it for burial, carrying it to just a short distance to Joseph's own personal tomb. They delicately place the body of Jesus that had been prepared, wrapped in linen cloths, into that tomb, hurrying so that it can be done before sunset that Friday. They roll a huge stone, this group of people, in front of that tomb. And so ends the passion of the Christ, the darkest hour on the history of this planet. He had come all the way from heaven, and yet he was rejected by his own people. But he loved them to the very end, and he gave himself absolutely even to the shedding of his own blood. And finally, at the end of that cold, dark week, Jesus lies dead and stiff inside that cold, dark tomb. There's not one person in this room today who hasn't been touched or affected by death. Some have lost husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. Some have even lost children. We've lost friends. We know what death looks like. We know what it feels like. I've walked away from scores and countless numbers of gravesides and funeral services with such sadness and heaviness in my heart. And underneath my breath, and oh, as many of you have done the same, you could say this, I hate this. I hate death. This separator. It's a thief. It's a robber. It's a cruel master. It's despised by everyone. No one has, can say anything good about death. But I want you to remember something this morning, that no one hates death more than God hates death. Seven centuries before Jesus came, God spoke to the prophet Hosea, and he said these words in Hosea chapter 13, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. And I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, is your plagues? Where, O oh death, is your destruction? I will have no compassion. In other words, what God is doing is seven centuries before, He just, through the prophet's voice, He gives notice to death and He says, I'm coming for you. God declared war on death. 
And it was just 2,000 years ago, my friend, when Jesus Christ, the only one who was able to lead the assault upon death's door, he walked into the command post of the enemy and he completed that work. He defeated death. He destroyed it. And today, I want you to know, Jesus Christ, the victor over death, has defeated it because he lives, he lives, he lives. Hallelujah. You see, if death, is still had, if death still had the power to snuff out my life right now, if death had the power over me to finish me off for good, then being a Christian would be really of no benefit to me whatsoever. I would be no different than just a guy that's trying to live moral and, and do the best he can. If death still had its control over me, I am, I am wasting my life. If death still truly was the end of all things, like an atheist would believe, then we would simply just dump our dead out like the garbage. Because it was just a ball of, 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 of accidental molecules just in the cycle of life. It's, a, it's just garbage. You and I have no value whatsoever. If death was still sovereign, then, then cemeteries would more closely resemble landfills than they do cared-for manicured gardens because it's just a waste. But I'm here once again to remind you this morning and to declare to you that Jesus has defeated death in an incredible fashion. He's defeated death in an incredible fashion. The curse of death over you, my friend, is over. If you know Jesus Christ, the funeral doesn't have to be the end of your story. Instead, Jesus came out of the grave and he moved on. And if you know him as your Savior, you can too. And as the angel spoke and he said, Why do you come here looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. Jesus, his story can be your story. And your funeral is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning because Jesus has defeated death incredibly. Praise God. Amen. Death has been defeated, and Easter marks that great testimony. Praise the Lord. Another thing that Easter marks is that Easter marks an incredible promise of life. It's not just that Jesus did away with that curse of death that hung over us all. Jesus marked a new beginning for life. And people throughout history, they've all hoped for for a fresh start, for new life. They, they all, all hope that God would defeat death and in doing so to give them hope for eternal life, not to just, just destroy the death that held over them. You can look all through the Scripture and you can see this hope. In the book of Job, you see in Job chapter 19, verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, and yet my flesh, I will see God. For I myself will see Him with my own eyes, and not another. David said in Psalm chapter 49, verse 15, God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to Himself. Isaiah echoes those words in chapter 26 when he says, but your dead will live, and their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Here's the great thing about Easter. It's the hope of a resurrection that's observed throughout history and throughout the Old Testament. A truth as old as time. People since the beginning of mankind have longed for that hope. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to bring truth to that reality, to that longing in us. That death was not the end of our story. And that there was life. And that there was not just life in the hereafter, but there could be life right now. True life. Abundant life. You see, the resurrection wasn't something that God thought up the week 
that Jesus was crucified so he could save the plan of salvation from being all messed up. God had planned the resurrection in a predetermined design. And that's why Jesus came and gave his life, gave himself unto death. And within three days in that cold grave, Jesus displayed that great truth that is confirmed in the promise that he made in, cha in John chapter 6, verse 39, when he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of, none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on that day. Can I encourage you, friends, with this? There is not one single person who has died in, with saving faith in Jesus Christ. Not one of them will be left in the ground when Jesus comes back. Your mothers and your fathers and your grandparents and your sisters and brothers and friends that we have laid to rest one of these days will be raised to life again. They will have a new body as Paul describes. It will be with incorruptible body. It will be glorious body. It will be renewed and I know that I am ready for that new body. Mine reminds me every morning how much I am ready for that resurrection body. Can I get an amen? I just want you to know that Jesus came to bring eternal life and to bring that to all of us. That's his promise. The songwriter Isaac Watts wrote years ago, he says, God, my Redeemer, lives and ever from the skies. I look down and watch, or he looks down and watches over my dust till he shall bid me rise, and then shall I see my Savior's face with strong, immortal eyes and feast upon the unknown grace with rapture and surprise. Let me tell you, friends, without the resurrection, Jesus would have been no more important than the patriarchs and the prophets themselves. He would have been no different from any other man who hoped for something better. But what did happen was that he had the power to die and to take up life again. He had divine power, and that's what we need. I need divine power in my life to make me new. I need divine power in order to change me from the old person into a new person. I need a change that is supernatural. And that was the divine work of the resurrection power. Because without the resurrection, I have, my life is nothing but a waste of time. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. If Christ hasn't been raised, then what you're doing here is an absolute waste of time. It means nothing. You're a confused individual in a smarter culture. My friends, that is just a lie because I know for a fact Jesus is alive. That divine life that resurrected Jesus from the grave has worked in me. He has redeemed me. He has changed me from the old Scott to a new Scott. He has redeemed some of you that I know. He's changed you from what you used to be into what you are. That is resurrection, divine power that is able to change a person's life. Romans 8, 11 tells us that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead is also giving life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. In other words, the resurrection power of Christ Jesus lives in us. Lives in us. Easter is not some impersonal holiday for me. And it shouldn't be an impersonal holiday for you. Because if you know Jesus, the power that we talk about as far as that raised Jesus from the dead, what we sang about, that's the power that is at work in your life that has given you eternity. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What makes Easter so incredible? It reminds me of God's promise of life. It's not just a theory. It's not just some theology. It's not some philosophy. It's not some historic truth that's just simply been passed down from generation to generation. 
It is a living, vital reality of faith in our hearts that gives us hope beyond this life. That was the message of the early Christians. And as that message began to seep out into that Roman world, suddenly all of those people who began to hear of God's promises and began to believe in this resurrection power, something began to change. As the apostles began to preach this gospel and what Jesus had done because the eyewitnesses had seen it and the hundreds of people who saw the resurrected Savior, the hundreds of them who saw Jesus alive after he had been buried, began to tell their story and the testimony of what had happened. And suddenly thousands upon thousands of people came to faith in Christ because of that great promise. They left their paganism. They left their ways of life. They left what they were used to. And they, they left their purposelessness, living the, the, just the wasted life. And they began to put faith in Jesus because he was the only one who was promising eternity. And he backed it up by rising from the dead. No myth could have produced such results. No myth would have caused that band of disciples to go tell a lie to the world around them for caution of being killed themselves. They didn't fear death because they had met the one who had beaten death. And so they shared their story. And that story has been told countless times over and over. It has been experienced time and time again. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ raising us from the dead. And see, here's the catch. No sinner, no person who doesn't know God, no unbeliever who looks at the Easter story or looks at Christianity and kind of scoffs or turns their nose no sinner wants to think much about the resurrection, and here's the reason. Because the last thing that a person who doesn't know God wants to hear is that they will face God when they're uncertain of their own future. They don't want the books to be opened. They don't want anyone to force them to give an accounting of their own life. They're not interested in Jesus coming. We just want to push that out of our minds and let me just go on living. Let me just go on doing my thing. Hear me this morning. Everybody in this room, no one will escape the living Christ. Every person here, young and old alike, will stand before God one day and they will give an account, you will give an account of your life those who have lived in faith and who have followed Jesus Christ and who have, who have walked with Him, they will hear the Savior say, well done, good and faithful. But for some who will stand before God unprepared, will only hear the words that will condemn their souls to hell for eternity. Separated from God, from any goodness, from any, any peace in their mind, any peace in their heart, any peace in their soul, complete torment. You will stand before God and you will give an account, friend. Whether you believe this message or not, or you believe this statement or not, let me tell you, it doesn't matter. Because reality doesn't depend on whether you believe it or not. Gravity didn't depend on whether you wanted to believe in it or not. It just sticks you to the floor. And whether you believe or not that you will stand before God is no consequence. You will stand before God. So says the word of the Lord. This is what I want you to hear on this Easter message. Is that God is for you. He went through all of this for you. 
He doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell separated from him. That's why he sent heaven's greatest prize, his own son. He loved you so much when you despised him and mocked him like the soldiers, when you spat in his face and you turned your back on him, when everybody ran and scattered, he still went to the cross, he still went to the grave, and he still, with the power of God, rose so that you and I could have life. He's for you. He's on your side. He wants you to change your mind. He wants to change your future. He wants to redeem your life. He wants to free you from the struggle that you find yourself in because God has life rigged. It will not work without him. It just won't. You can try everything, my friend. You will not find peace. You will not find happiness or contentment without Jesus Christ in your heart. It won't work. God gives you life, and he rigs it the way he wants it. And I'm telling you right now, you can look across this planet and experience every experience there is, and at the end of the day, you will still not have peace because God is missing from your life. He's missing. He made all of it possible because of the resurrection. The graves of my loved ones that I have put in the ground, most of them are now filled with dust and bones. And I can't do anything for them. And guess what? They can't do anything for me. And that's why my eye is not upon their grave. My eye is upon that little tomb that sits in the garden owned by Joseph of Arimathea that is empty this morning because there is a man who lived and died, but he is no longer there. He's like what John chapter 11 verse 25 says. He is the resurrection and he is the life. And he who believes in him will live. If you really want to live in life, we got to know Jesus. He's the promised one for life. He gives us life. I look forward to that day when I get to see him. And I hope that you're looking forward to that day. Because if you're looking forward to that day, you're probably ready to meet him. I can't wait until I experience what the psalmist writer, what David said in Psalm 17, verse 15. When he said this, he said, he said, I will see your face when I awake, when I rise. <laughs> I'm going to see you, Lord, with my own eyes. I may not live past today. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. None of you are. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. This week, the two people driving down I-35, passing over State School Road, who drove their car underneath a truck trailer and, and died right there on the interstate. They didn't know that would happen that morning as they put their makeup on and they got their clothes on. They didn't have any idea. Nobody's promised tomorrow. So don't gamble away tomorrow. I'm so glad one of these days when I awake that I will see him, I will see his face. And it says, the Psalm says, David says, and I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Oh, there's nothing in my life that will satisfy me more than one day when I get to see and meet my Savior face to face. I won't be anymore just preaching about him and telling the story. I won't just have another Easter service where I try to tell people this is what really life means, but I'm going to be satisfied. It will be the most satisfying moment that could ever be in our lives when you and I, friend, followers of Jesus, devoted disciples of the Lord, when we see him with our own eyes face to face and we behold him, the satisfaction of living our life for him will be made complete. It will be worth it all, as that song says, when we see Jesus. Nothing will ever quell your fears or fulfill your longings or satisfy your questions or even support your convictions except the incredible life-giving resurrection of Jesus when you see him that day. So Easter marks a couple of those incredible events. 
defeat of death, the promise of eternal life. Let me just wrap, with the, wrap up with this last one. Easter marks the incredible return of Jesus. An incredible return. Today, around the world, thousands of congregations are gathering together. People are gathered together to remember His resurrection, to worship Him, to praise Him, to honor Him. And we're a part of that number. This, this church, Journey Fellowship Church, Denton, Texas, we're a part of that incredible number. Some people are meeting under just a tree out in the open. Nevertheless, they are part of the church. Some people are meeting in cathedrals, massive, beautiful, ornate structures, but nevertheless, they are a part of that church. Some of my friends today that I spoke to before I walked into this service are meeting in the war zone of Ukraine. And as bombs fall around them in their city, they are worshiping a risen Savior. Their life might be snuffed out in the next moment by an artillery shell, but the next thing that they recognize was that the resurrected Savior who said He would save them is now the chief diadem that they worship in heaven. The church is massive. It's expansive. Groups of people, large and small, are meeting. But we're only a part of that church. You see, we're the smallest part. Because the, mo the majority, the largest gathering of the church is already around the throne of God today. <laughs> have you thought about that? The majority of those who have put their faith in Christ since the beginning of time, since, since He rose from the grave, those patriarchs that He redeemed because of their righteous faith, they're already there. And they're waiting for us. As Hebrews says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They're already arrived in the presence of God, and you and I, we're a part of that. We make that up. And so that's why we remind one another every Easter, hey, don't forget, Jesus is alive. He is risen. He's alive. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to be gone very long because He rose so that He could come again. He rose so that he could come again. After Jesus made his exit from the grave, he was seen by hundreds of people. You can read that. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he describes, he lists a, a, a huge group of people that he met, names, everything. Jesus was seen. But at one point, Jesus gathered everybody together. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, after he said this, after he has spoken to them, he said, I'm going to give you the promise, go wait in Jerusalem for the power that's coming. He said, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going. And then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And they said, men, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, notice this, will come back in the same way you have seen him go. into heaven. On that day, a countdown clock began. And the Lord describes that countdown and that process as the last days. But the special thing about the clock that's counting that down is that it clock does not run steady. The longer the clock runs, the faster it moves. If you're paying attention to what's going on in our world right now and what's happened over the last few years, you will recognize the clock is moving at a faster pace than ever. It's gaining momentum because Jesus 
is soon to return. To set things in order. The resurrected Christ did not just ascend so that he would leave the world in chaos. His promise was that he would give life, defeat death, but he would also come to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The president of presidents. The one who is in charge, period. Jesus is soon to come. The king is coming. I said the king is coming. Back in February, my family and I went snow skiing. And on one particular day, Sawyer and I, we were up on the mountain, and we like to go through trees, so we're coming down the mountain, skiing down through trees. And we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no one around that we, we think. And we turn this little corner, and there is this guy laying down on the slope of this hill. It's steep. He's got his poles off and his skis off, holding them on his chest. And Sawyer and I ski down to him, and we go, hey, man, are you all right? It was kind of a funny sight to see. I'd seen that sight before. I'm not going to say who or where, but he's actually in the room today. He had a one-piece ski suit on. He had a toboggan with a big ball on top, and he had his skis and poles in his arms, and he was sitting there, huffing and puffing. We, we ski up to him, we say, man, hey, you okay? And underneath the panting of his breath, he said, oh, oh I'm fine. I'm doing all right. I didn't know where I was going. I kind of got lost over here in all these trees. I said, wow, well, do you need help? And I'm thinking to myself, ain't no way. Sawyer and I both could carry this guy down. We just have to roll him into a snowball and hope that he made it. I'll be all right. I, I'm okay. I said, are you sure? I, don't, I hate to leave you here. I mean, like, this is... There ain't no way down but steep and black dynams. I mean, it's all it is. It's the only way down. He's like, I'll get down in a little bit. I'll make it. I'll make it. I'll make it. I'm coming. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. And I said, okay, well, he said, oh, wait, before you leave, my daughter was with me. But she, she's on ski on down. She lost me. I, I lost her. She's already down there. Would you just tell her Daddy's coming. I looked at Sawyer and I said, Daddy's coming. Got it. Just tell her, Daddy's coming. Daddy's coming. I'll be there. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Daddy's coming. I looked at Sawyer. I said, okay, let's go. So we took off. We ski all the way to the bottom. We get down there. And I'd forgotten to tell you that before he said that, he said, Daddy's coming. He said, my daughter, she's wearing a pink toboggan. Just tell her daddy's coming. I said, okay, well, I'll pass the message on. No problem. We ski to the bottom of the hill. We get, uh, we see the, the lift, and we ski up to the lift, and I'll be, if there was not a little girl standing right there in the middle of just these lanes of, of she's by herself, and she's got a pink toboggan on. I ski down there to her, and I ski right to her face. She's a little girl. She's, I mean, she's young. She's probably 12 years old. And I look at her, and I say, I just want you to know, daddy's coming. Just like that. Daddy's coming. She looked at me like stranger danger. This guy's a freak. Get away. And I said, your dad just wanted, to, wanted you to have the message. He's up there stuck, but he's coming. Daddy's coming. That's exactly what he said. She's, I said, I said are, you still, are you down here waiting for your daddy? She said, no. My parents aren't even here. I looked at Sawyer and I said, Daddy's getting out of here. Let's go. Or somebody thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. Can I tell you? He's coming. And I'm here just to deliver that message. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's alive. 
And that doesn't mean he's going to stay up there just watching. He's coming. That's why he rose. He's coming after you, Chase. So stay ready. He's coming after you, Charles. So be ready. He's coming after you, Larry. So be ready. He's coming after you, John. Be ready. He's coming after you, Troy and Lulu and Maria. Be ready. Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's alive and he's coming for you. Would you just bow your heads all over this room this morning? Worship team. You can attend a lot of Easter services and you can hear about how God loves you and He gave His Son for you. and How He was rejected and crucified and buried. You can hear the story about He was in the grave for three days and then He rose again and then He ascended into heaven. You can even be reminded today like I did that He is soon to return. And for you, it could be just another story, just another Easter. But what could make this Easter incredible for you? What could make this Easter so special for you? What, what could make this day so incredible? is if you put your faith in Him. Or you renew your commitment to Him because you've just been playing the game. You've heard this story a dozen times over, but you've just it's just been another story. Today, it could become your story. Your story of how Christ defeated death over you. The story of how abundant life could be, it could be yours. <coughs> it could be your story. That when Jesus returns, he takes you. My encouragement to you today is this. Make this Easter an incredible one. Don't leave this room today until you know that you know that you know that you are ready to meet Him, that you are ready to stand before Him, and that you are ready to be received by Him. Don't leave today until that has been settled in your heart and in your life. That's what makes Easter incredible. As I close, here's what my call is going to be for you. If there is anybody in this room on this Easter Sunday who would respond to this message and say, Scott, I want this Easter to be an incredible Easter. I want to make that story that you read in the Bible, I want to make that my story. I want to live that life. I want to know that power. I want to receive Christ. Or I want to come back to Him. I've been running from Him. I've been playing my own game. I've been doing my own thing. But I want to come back. And today starts the day that I make this my story. If you're here this morning, everybody's praying, everybody's heads bowed. Most important time of the whole day you're here this morning and you would respond to that you'd be making the greatest decision of your life because you would have purpose and meaning once again you wouldn't just be a waste no one's a waste it's not God's intention but because he lives you can face tomorrow and the next day and the week after that and the month after that and you can face death and you can go face him in eternity you will face him praise the Lord but you'd say, Scott, that's me. I want to come back to the Lord. I want to turn my life over to Jesus today. And I want to confess myself before the Lord. I'm just going to tell him who I am and where I've been. My doubts, my fears, my failures. And Jesus takes all of those things. And he says, let me have that. And I'll trade you my love and my grace. And then he'll say this. 
follow me. The greatest words ever spoken to man, follow me. And you begin to follow his life, his lead, his direction. Straight to heaven's door. If anybody is here this morning on this Easter Sunday, let's make it incredible. If you would respond to that, you just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. You just raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. Here's one hand. You respond to that. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? There's been two already. Yes, sir. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Jesus said, acknowledge me before men. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Yes, sir. In the back, I see your hand. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Acknowledge the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you're coming back. Praise God. Praise God, church. This is exciting. Yes, young lady, I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else, you'd raise your hand. you say, I want to make today an incredible day. This is a new day for me. It's not just, yes, young man, I see your hand, and so does the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Saints, you're praying. Anybody else? Anybody else, you'd make this day an incredible Easter, unlike any before. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want you to stand with me all over this room. Everybody stand to your feet with me. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Praise God. There's been several who have responded. You've raised your hands this morning. I want you to do what, what, what the Scripture encourages to do, what Jesus encourages to do. He says, don't be ashamed of me before men so that I won't be ashamed of you before my Father. The Lord Jesus wants you to have courage in the commitment that you make to follow Him. Make that declaration. I'm following Jesus. I've decided today I'm going toward Him. It doesn't matter what anybody may think or, or, or may, may, may believe. You just move from where you are and I want you to come forward. If you raised your hands, you're not going to be alone. There's going to be a prayer team that's people that know how to pray, and they're going to follow right behind you. They're just going to come behind you. If you raise your hand, I want you to move out right now as they begin to sing because he lives. Come on, you raise your hand. You raise your hand. Come on, move out. Move out right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Stand right here along the front. Come on. Come on, church. That's right. Come on. Yes. 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 Come on. You raise your hand. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.